Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Everybody, it is Wednesday, January the 28th, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm here with Steve Say. Hello. And Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. All right, so we are here, guys. It is Snowmageddon 2015 <laughs> um, here in New York. Uh, we got a pretty uh, big blizzard. Uh, not as big as they said it was going to be, but still, I mean, I think I got about 16 to 17 inches here. Um, I don't know how it's by you guys, but oh, I have no idea inches wise. Yeah. I just uh, I just know that it wasn't as bad as they were saying it was going to be, and I'm actually quite happy about that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what about you, Bob? What do you got going on over there? Uh, I was shoveling at two thirty this morning. Ew. I <laughs> paid a guy ten bucks to plow me out uh, earlier today. Uh... Steve, it's a family show, all right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now. <laughs> I am podcasting from my place, and you have no idea what I'm doing. It's true. All of us are podcasting satellites um, at, at our respective homes. Uh, Stephanie could not join us tonight. She had a, a last-minute emergency, so send your well wishes to her. But um, we are going to soldier on, and t- today on the podcast, we're going to be doing, um, of course, our lightning round and uh, our book of the week. Uh, we're going to talk about the Fantastic Four trailer, with which just dropped, which means two weeks in a row, huge news on a Tuesday happened. Um, and uh, we're going to take some listener questions, but we're also uh, we're, we're also going to uh, be doing our, our, our new segment, which is our shared book of the week. Um, every week, one of the one of the hosts is going to choose um, a book for the others to read, um, and we're going to do a group discussion on it. Uh, this week, we kind of chose in in committee, uh, but from going on from here, we'll have I'll have other people uh, choosing the books. Um, we're going to be doing uh, Ivar the Time Walker uh, number one from Valiant. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to be doing that for our shared book of the week. So Bob, Steve, and I will 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 jaw on that a little bit, um, a little bit later. Um, but before we get to that, uh, we had our blizzard. We we did our thing. We all survived. All we all have power. Bob, you lost power for a little bit, right? Yeah, about ten minutes or so earlier today, which started to say we're not podcasting at all. But <laughs> came back on. Thankfully, sort of the heat and everything else, and the internet and the rest of it, which. You never can tell on Long Island. A gust of wind can take out cable vision for for a week. That's absolutely true. Absolutely, absolutely true. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So it, all in all, not too bad. It was like the perfect amount of snow because it was just enough snow to for everything still to be closed, but not enough where it's gonna like screw up the entire week of yeah. of going back and forth. When I yeah, I think happen. the roads and everything will be good by tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, though part of me was hoping that it would be so bad that I could not going to work Tuesday and Wednesday, but that's not going to happen now. <laughs> so, all right. Oh, well, we, 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 we soldier on, we move on. Um, all right. So let's get on to our, this is, I think our, this is our first, uh, lightning round of the year. 
Is it? We yes. didn't do one last time? No, last time we just did kind of like, oh, these are all the books of the week that we're doing and stuff. Oh. Um, so uh, let's see here. Let's go. I'm going to get my timer ready. Steve, you want to you lead us off for our first lightning yeah, I'll round? Yeah, go, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, let me just uh, get some stuff here. All right, I'm, all right, right, I'm, I'm good. Get, I'm getting my timer ready. All right. all right. Turning it down from the 28 minutes I was when I was cooking something the other day down to three minutes. Um, and our first lightning round of 2015, Steve, go. All right. So my lightning round is going to consist of kind of a collection of books. Uh, we got Batman and Robin number 37, uh, Batman and Robin number 38, and Robin Rises Alpha number one, uh, all by Peter Tomasi. Uh, with Art Burke, uh, Art Burke, or <laughs> artwork by Gleason and Kubert. Uh, here's the deal. Damien is back, and I could not be happier. Um, if you had asked me, like, at the start of Batman and Robin, if I was going to really fall in love and care about this character, I would have told you no, but here we are uh, this week, and I am out of my skin happy that Damien is back. He's kind of changed a little bit in recent events he's been through a lot and now that he's back he has um let's just say acquired abilities that he did not have in his previous incarnation uh and it was for me it was so much more than just him coming back it was the process of him coming back and all the things that peter tomasi had written for this giant story of going into apocalypse to go and get him back uh involving the entire bat family and kind of really bringing them together for the first time, um, all working together since all the Joker stuff happened last uh, earlier last year. And just a, a really, really solid payoff. And, you know, a couple of heart-wrenching moments with Damien finally coming back and rushing into, you know, Bruce's arms and him being relieved. And one of my favorite parts about it is that we're not going to spend all this time keeping him on the sidelines because he was dead and, you know, you got to rest and this and that. The guy was dead. He rested enough. So now he's back and he's already back on uh, on the streets helping Batman. And it's him getting used to his new abilities. And I just, I love the doors that have been opened up for him and for this character. And I think that uh, the team over at uh, both of those titles have done a really, really amazing job with taking the character away and then making it meaningful to bring him back. Um, so I've really been enjoying that. Another title that I've been really enjoying is Rumble by John Arcudi and uh, James Herron. It is kind of a John dies at the end weird thing going on of this like ancient sword being passed from person to person and kind of a protector or specter of the sword um, protecting it and, and, and upholding his duties as like, you know, the person that watches over this thing. And it's just, it's creatures it's like seedy uh, bars and alleyways, and and it's just really off the wall. And the art for it is absolutely just phenomenal. Um, super, super, just like action sequences and detailed uh, rotting corpses and limbs flying everywhere and scarecrow men being blown to bits and gargoyles with like 16 mouths. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, so both of those issues are out. Really been enjoying them, and that is my lightning round. <laughs> Good job, Steve. Very, very good job on that Quick one. Quick question, this. Steve. Yeah. The mechanism for Damien's return, if it's not too much of a spoiler, mm -hmm. how does he come back exactly? There, uh, there is a stone in Apocalypse. If you want to, for people that have played the game Diablo, if you want to think of it as uh, Diablo's soul stone, if you will, 
um, all of the power of Apocalypse was kind of channeled into this thing and like inserted or stabbed into uh, Damien's chest and the energy from that like crystal kind of dissipates and the energy from it like, you know, reinvigorates his body. Unfortunately, as a result, uh, Bruce takes a toll as well. So we kind of got one person back and, you know, for, for every step forward that we took, we took one step back in regard to Batman and Bruce Wayne. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a really, really good uh, way to bring him back. And I'm just glad that he is back. Uh, it, it's really nice to have him back in the books. And I, I think they brought him back in a way that was different enough than the way he was when he left. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't feel, I guess, cheap or, you know, like they cheated you or anything like that. Uh, it, it feels great to me. I, I think that this whole series, you know, Batman and Robin, it, save for a couple of issues in the middle of the Damien being gone stuff where it was... Uh, some of the team up stuff where I, I just think it lost its momentum because I don't think I feel like it was waiting, you know, to yeah. do what it was going to do. Um, other than those couple of issues, it's been such a st- stellar series from beginning to end, you know, and this is one of those teams that's been on the book every single issue, you know, for the entire run. And I think they've done just a, a fantastic, fantastic job. And it's, it's a very interesting dynamic now, right? Having Damien having these abilities and Batman you being Batman and right. seeing how they, they interact and how Batman deals with the fact that, you know, he wants to protect Damien, but he also, but now that protecting him means a different thing. You know, it doesn't mean the same thing as making sure he doesn't get killed. You know, exactly. cause that seems nearly impossible right now. You know, we mm-hmm. don't know what's going to happen, but. Well, he seems to have, like, even less control over him than he used to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that he's going to have to get, you know, used to as well, because Damien kind of has his own agenda. Yes. With these with these new abilities and stuff. And, mm-hmm. I mean, there's very little that he's going to be able to do if Batman's got to go ahead and, you know, create tech behind his back to stop him one day if he needs to. That's going to, it's not going to end well. No, absolutely, absolutely not. But I'm sure Batman will do that because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's Batman. Uh, so I, I like that a lot. And I like that, but now, you know, it's a different Damien than when he left also in personality, right? He's not, by the time we got to the end of him in, in Batman and Robin and Batman Inc., he had kind of changed over from being as, he was still reckless, but he wasn't, you know, uh, murdery anymore. Right. And, and so there's a different worry, uh, which I like. And I, I thought that they played the powers for good humor as well. That one shot with Alfred when he, comes up through the floor and Alfred just like doesn't even stop sipping his tea. Uh, yeah. When he goes flying to the floor, I think it was great. Uh, I, I, I think it provides a whole new storytelling avenue um, for, you know, for him. And, and I think that it, it reinvigorates the book in a lot of ways. And, it really does. And I, I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but they asked Snyder about it, about him being back and having the powers and would he end up in Batman? And he said, you know, to be honest with you, I just don't know how to write Damien. He's like, hmm. so I, he won't be in Batman. Because I just I don't think I can do him justice. Wow. That's basically what he said. Yeah, which I thought was cool and very honest and interesting thing for someone like him to say. But yeah, yeah. it was totally great. Uh, this whole run since the Robin Rises event started, uh, it's been really great. Yeah, I ran into uh, Peter Tomasi, I believe, either at Special Edition or Comic Con, and I just there was nobody at this table. I just walked right up to him and I shook his hand and I was just like, "Thank you for you know uh, all the other stuff you've done, but the." particularly for this series and this run. I'm like, it's just been in, incredible. Yeah. Um, definitely one of the things that I love to go back and, and read and particularly in the last couple of issues, the watching like 
the desperation uh, of Batman when trying to get him back, when everybody was trying to hold him back from doing what he needed to do, and him just not listening to anyone, but yet still including them, you know, kind of copping to the idea that he can't put a leash on these people that he's created and brought into this Bat family, and he's finally, you know, beginning to accept that. I yeah, think so. Absolutely. I'm curious to see what, what this kind of stuff brings in the future and how people are going to react to his new powers. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, awesome. Awesome. All right. So, Bob, you ready for your, your, your first lightning round? Sure. Do I get the 28 minutes? Because I've got about a month's worth of books. <laughs> no, you get three minutes, Bob. Okay. All right. All so right. you got to get through a month's worth of books in three minutes. You ready? If anyone sure. can do it, it's you. And your lightning round begins now. Start with Fantastic Four 642. James Robinson's third act has just been so, so good. It's just a shame this is going away as this story comes to an end. It would be nice to see where it goes forward. Spider-Verse team-up number three, which has a story of May Parker, the daughter of Jane, and it's by Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, and Sal Buscema. A lot of tie-ins, but this is particularly, you get to see a lot of what May is about. We've got Captain America and the Mighty Avengers number four. And it's a return to normal Luke and Sam dealing with the aftermath of their inversion, the Axis event, as Al Ewan gets the book back to normal again, too, just the way he did the last round with Infinity. Again, sort of coming to an end. Speaking of finales, X-Factor number 20 uh, is the final issue, but it doesn't really read like a finale as there are some new plot elements introduced, as well as connections to other characters that were hitherto unknown. As Peter says in his introduction, I'm hoping we'll return at some point, especially after people get a load of the finale of this story. Uh, the Spider-Woman 3, which is fun, but now that they've introduced and teased what the new direction of the storyline is going to be, can we get there already and get out of this event? Because it's I'm evented out, as we all know. Where I'm going to finish off with, I think here is Sensation number 6. And in this case, we have two stories, the longer one, is by Michael Jelinek and Dean Johnson, if I can read my own writing. And it's a story that goes back and forth between a teaching session between Diana and Hippolyta and flips forward to an adult Wonder Woman searching for a phoenix egg. And I won't say why. But it has this great exchange between the younger Diana and Hippolyta, and I hope I can get this in here. Uh, she says to her, Okay, are we ready? I think we are ready. As warriors, we must first be dedicated to peace. Do you still have to try to make peace if they try to hit you first? Yes. What if they said something really mean? Even if they said something really, really mean. What if they're bad people? We must try the hardest to achieve peace with bad people. What if it's a monster who wants to eat you for lunch? Always, Diana, always. This is our way. It is who we are. Sensation has just hit every right note about Wonder Woman all these months so far, and I'm just so happy it's out there. And soon is Wonder Woman 77, right around the corner. I, the digital one has launched already. Print edition, I think, is in two weeks, so there's that to look forward to as well. That's it for me. Uh, of course, Bob. You had 20 seconds left. Anything else you want to say? Wow. Yeah, yeah uh, Silver Surfer number eight was really good. <laughs> Uh, some some dark moments, however, between Dawn and Norrin, and that's all I'm going to say. All right, dark, dark. Oh man, leading us with a little tease with yeah. his time being up. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. All right, here we go. 
I wonder if we could ever get sued for having that sound on the podcast. I think it's, I think it's open open source sound. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> all right. My turn. Here we go. Lightning round. Boom. All right. So uh, first up, uh, the Valiant number two. Uh, we talked about it on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we, we all were different, very you know, variations of, of impressed by it. Um, I, I think the second issue does a, a much better job of really bringing the story down to a manageable level. Um, I've been reading a little Valiant over the, this past week and the past two weeks, and so I have a little bit of an understanding of the universe, but not really of the characters who are who are in this book so much. So it it, it was that might have helped a little bit, but I think that the way they brought the story down into a more personal level and on, on just a few characters, I think really helped. I think the main villain is really scary. And I think that the art um, by Paulo Rivera is great. And the, the Matt Kent even has little, uh, they do little bits of Matt Kent's art and it's just really fantastic. Oh, uh, nice. Variation of, of from what's there. So I'm really liking that. Justice League number 38, uh, the Amazo virus story keeps, just keeps going and being being really really entertaining and fun um so and i really love the way that it's playing the lex Luthor and captain cold stuff as as heroes as as uh i guess not really heroes but as people trying to be good um i I think that it does a really cool job with that and what the amazo virus is doing um and how it's kind of playing on that the concept of amazo i think is very cool and i want to devote most of my time though to supergirl number 38 which I talked about uh, the initial uh, change up on, on the team and uh, and how much I enjoyed it, but uh, I'm, we're three issues in now to to this new this new run and this new arc, uh, the Crucible Academy storyline, and I have absolutely been just adoring it. Uh, and this issue, especially, I think, uh, adding in uh, Connell Superboy into the mix, and really more than anything else, seeing the way the dynamic between him and Kara. I think is what makes the issue very, very special. Uh, you know, it completely subverts the usual, um, you know, her being kind of below whatever the, the male hero is going to be. She's the one protecting, you know, Connell in, in this issue. And I love the new characters. I love the plays on, on old characters like Captain Comet. And I think the art is wonderful and the story is just a ton of fun, but with, with enough pathos to make it, something that feels substantial. So I, I'm really, really excited about this. I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. Nice. And th- yeah, that's what I want to say about Supergirl. See, did you say you read Supergirl? I did. What did you think of it? I like it. I really, I'm glad that you, uh, that you brought it up on the show a few weeks ago and got me to start picking it back up. Um, I really am enjoying kind of the almost like high school aspect mm-hmm. of yeah. the story of like this, uh, this training camp that she's in and like the, the different methodology that they have for teaching their lessons, I think is really interesting and that they're, they're actually sacrifices to, to be made within the lessons themselves mm-hmm. and um, bringing Connell into it is really cool. But just the, I don't know, like I I'm, I'm glad that after the red lantern stuff that they've moved into not so much like a brighter Supergirl on par with like Batgirl and stuff like that, but there's just, there's a lighter tone to it she's getting to breathe a little bit more and experiment more with her powers. And I think it's interesting that we're like 37, 38 issues in and she's still getting comfortable with herself. And I, I, I kind of like that because that kind of stuff takes time. Like it's, it's not like they just like hit fast forward. It's like, well, she knows how to do everything uh, that she can now. Like these people are actually going to teach her how to properly use 
her powers and within like let's say like 10 issues from now even we'll have like a like a superman style supergirl mm. uh kind of character i think would be really cool yeah absolutely Oh, go ahead, Bobby. No, no, you go ahead, Bob. I was going to say, if you dropped out all that Red Lantern stuff in the middle that got all of us to drop the book initially, you know, we don't, if we don't count that, that's a year off her seniority, so to speak. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. So she is still learning. That was just a blip, apparently, because the, the, you got me started on the original ones, and they were just excellent. Mm-hmm. A lot of right. fun coming-of-age, uh, fish-out-of-water story, uh, appealing characters, great supporting cast, and then it all mm-hmm. went away, it seemed like, overnight. Well, one of the things that I really like about it is that they they talk about her time as the Red Lantern, but not so much that they gloss over it, but they just they touch on like the key things within one page that I needed to know about her time, but it didn't I didn't feel like I missed anything. Okay. And couldn't come into this new arc. Like I feel like I just haven't been reading the book that I loved reading a while ago and I just haven't picked haven't picked it up on my own, you know, my own fault or whatever. And I went to the store and I grabbed it, and it's still as good as it used to be. Awesome. That's the way. That's the way that I feel about it. Yeah. We have any thoughts about the television show? Oh yeah, I mean, I was gonna. We can. T- we actually, it's a good time to bring that up because <laughs> yeah. it rubs right in. Um, I got her. Her last name always. It's like Ben Beno- Benost. Benost. Um, I'm probably butchering that. B-E-N-O-I-T? No, it's There's an um, S in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look, I, I wasn't ready to talk about this right now, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna okay. look it up right now because uh, no, we're on it. So uh, I'll get the pronunciation of her name. But she is. Um, she was on Glee. She's one of the the cast members that came in when they kind of transitioned casts, and she's now been cast as Kara Zor-El in the Supergirl show for CBS, which is being produced uh, by uh, Mark Guggenheim and Greg Berlanti. I, I, at least I know Guggenheim's doing it. I know Berlanti's doing it, but Guggenheim also does the flash and arrow. Uh, oh. yeah. So we have our, we have our main character cast and I'm excited uh, about, about the show. I think that, um, it, it's, it's an interesting choice. It's not a, it's not a typical choice. You know, I, I, I like that they didn't cast, you know, um, kind of, a supermodel to, to, to play the role, you know, I, I, she has a very, li- she's a very likable way about her, uh, but she's still very pretty. So I, I think that it, there's the, that combination is kind of perfect for, for that character. And I'm, I'm excited to, to see what happens with it. You know, uh, th- they've done well by going to the Glee well once with casting Grant Gustin from, mm-hmm. from Glee to be the flash. So I'm not going to doubt what, what she can do. Uh, Bob, did you have any thoughts on it? Well, I love that they're going younger mm-hmm. because it's whichever run they're going to go for. The classic ones have been she fitting in as a teenager. So whether you're doing the Linda Danvers one from the fifties and sixties or Peter David's from later on, that's inherently the strongest periods for that character as she, as with the new book that she's learning who she is and her powers and whatever. So that's the best angle to approach this storyline from how are they going to deal with the Superman problem as, you know, Gotham does with the Batman problem? It would be interesting to see how they, do they mention Superman? Can they mention Superman without treading on toes? Right. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. I'm guessing they can probably mention him. I don't think you'll ever see him uh, in, in the show. Uh, but, I, you know, from reading the description of the show, they're going with the regular, you know, at least one of the origins of the character. You know, they're going with the, you know, last daughter of Krypton type of storyline. So they aren't changing up the origin anyway. So there's got to be at least some, if not references to the name Superman, references to his nicknames or to the character himself, I would say. 
Um, hmm. Melissa Benoist, I think, because it's B E N O I S T. Yes, it has to be. Yeah. yeah. So yes, yeah, so that's really that's great. Um, I'm I'm excited about that. You know, when you get a cast, you start to feel like the show something is real. You know, it starts to feel more real than just right. you know people talking about it. Um, even more than a writer or, or creative talent being on it, when you get a cast, when they start bringing actors in, you know that they're that they're serious about making something. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of TV news this week. You know, we yeah. uh, uh, David Tennant is playing the Purple Man on ATA yeah. Jessica Jones, which is really really awesome. Um, if you guys want to know about the Purple Man at all, I mean, I'm Bob Strick tell you many many issues to, to read, but yeah. the most recent. Uh, couple issues with then the daredevil run were, were great and a really great inter- introduction to his character if you don't know who he is i think he's daredevil number four okay i i may be off by a couple i don't have it in front i didn't know we were going to talk about this i'd have looked it up yeah but yeah i, I didn't know uh, we we're gonna talk about it either but i just i was going i was scrolling through uh, our news section and it was on there so i just is he kill uh killgrave the purple man too the real yes yes oh, awesome. zebediah killgrave yes yeah and uh and and this is like non-news right now but apparently Fox is talking to Marvel about doing an X-Men television show. Um, and they have to clear it with Marvel because Fox owns the movie rights, the Fantastic Four, but not the TV rights. So they can't do it without them. Hmm. Yeah. So I'd be interested well, to see what they do with that. They did have a Generation X TV movie about 25 years ago. <laughs> I don't know if anybody saw that. No, I've always avoided it, Bob. Yeah. It's pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad, though. Of course, I have to own a copy. So Of course. Of yeah. course. So. It's better than, it might be better than Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., though. Well, I mean, David that, Hasselhoff. And then it, it has to be the best oh. movie ever made, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> I just saw a poster for that today. That's what you're of, saying. of all things to mention, I actually saw a poster for that today. <laughs> he does look like him. Oh, it looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that goodness. said, his Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is better than that Wonder Woman pilot. Didn't he come forward like recently and say like I am Nick Fury or I'm the real Nick yes. Fury or something like that? Maybe he and Sam Jackson should have a Fury off or something. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he's like, where is he? Like, he's huge in what? Germany. Germany. <laughs> God, they love him. They love his music. I don't get it. <laughs> anyway, you ever sorry. Heard him sing? He's he's awesome. Can I, he sing? I have no idea. Oh. Everyone can sing. Everyone's auto tune for goodness sakes. <laughs> That's true. Um, and I mean, they're very, you know, I mean, except for one of them, I don't really know many of the actors, but just to talk about this news real quick, uh, they cast um, young Storm, young Jean Grey, young Cyclops in X-Men Apocalypse. Um, Sophie Turner is playing um, from Game of Thrones, is playing Jean Grey. Uh, Ty Sheridan, who was in the Tree of Life and also in Mud, um, is playing Cyclops. And Alexandra Ship is going to play um, Storm. And uh, she's been in some TV movies, Aaliyah, Princess of R&B, and the made-for-TV sequel, Drumline, A New Beat. Um, so, yeah, they've cast the younger versions of those characters, which I think we knew was inevitable, and I'm, I'm actually very happy about that, that, that they're going to go that way because it gives them a chance to maybe service those characters a little bit better than they did the first time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's set in the 80s this time, right? Yes, 88 or something like that, I think. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. I mean, Sophie Turner is great on Game of Thrones, so um, I'm excited to see what she can do with that role. And I've heard great things about Ty Sheridan. Um, Everything I heard about his performances in, well, in Mud. I've seen Tree of Life, but he was a little kid in Tree of Life, so it's tough really to to gauge it on that. Oh, he was okay. Yeah. uh, He was young Sean Penn, I believe, in 
All right. Tree of Life. So that movie was intense. Yeah, that movie is very intense, and he's good in it. But it's tough to judge that on what he's going to be in, in this movie. But right, I think it's cool. You know, we, we it has a good cast. I'm, I'm interested to see what they do. You know, w- w- with that. But just want to get that news out there for people in case they hadn't heard it. But mm. let's let's go back to to comic talk. Let's uh, talk about our books of the week. We'll get to our shared book of the week last. But uh, Steve, why don't you start out? What, what's your uh, what's your book of the week? All right, let me. Uh, this thing is huge. So, I uh, last time I was in Canada, I got uh, got to go to Heroes in London, and I picked up the giant volume one, which uh, of the Sixth Gun, and it's written by Cullen Bunn and illustrated and lettered by Brian Hurt, uh, colored by Brian Hurt and Bill Crabtree. Uh, I have read so far issues one through six, and I gotta tell you, I am super 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 impressed uh with this series and really surprised that i haven't jumped onto it sooner um for those of you that don't know what the sixth gun is about uh it's been around for a while i believe there's at least seven volumes of it out in trade right now um the volume one collection that i have actually collects issues one through eleven so i believe it's the first two trades in like an oversized like newsprint hardcover with a ton of extras in the back. And it even has one of those cool like silk ribbons for you to mark your page. I love those. Um, So the sixth gun is about a woman who a young woman lives with her father and her father is on his deathbed and he's dying and he's basically like confessing to her and, and she believes him to be talking crazy. He's talking about ghosts and he's talking about guns and, they live in the old West. So she's like, Oh daddy, you're just, you know, sick with fever and he's losing his mind. And it turns out that he is actually the guardian of this thing called the sixth gun, uh, that belongs to this like nasty, almost, he looks like, like a, like a dead miner mixed with, um, who's the dude from Scrooged, the, the, uh, the owner of the company in that Bill Murray Scrooge movie. What the hell is his name? Oh, I can't remember. Not John Bob Forsyth is who plays him, but I don't remember the character. Not name. Bob Cratchit. But anyway, you know who you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. All right. So he's got this this posse with him, and they all own these guns. These guns, whoever touches them after the person that died, um, whoever touches them, it, the, the power of that gun then passes on to them. Each gun is infused with different powers and different abilities of like a supernatural nature. So one of them is you're eternal. Like you can never, you can never die. Uh, another one is it shoots regular bullets, but they act as if they're like cannonballs. Um, there's one that can actually conjure uh, the spirits of the dead and have them fight for you and can kind of like create things out of the earth and create these mud men and things like that. And so anyway, um, this old guy that's in his bed and he's dying and he he dies. The daughter finds the gun by accident and the gun winds up being bound to her and people looking to collect the the sixth gun um, are after her and more or less these two guys show up and kind of say, hey, listen, you know, these guys are are coming for you. You've got to go with us if you want to stay, stay, stay safe and you have to keep that gun by your side at all times. That's the setup for it. It is so ridiculously like beautiful to look at. Um, I don't even know how to describe the the artwork, the way that it's set up in this book, and I would imagine it's the same um, 
situation in the trades is you have these like huge sprawling like western vistas and giant battle sequences with all of these like different creatures and like undead soldiers and cowboys and just all of this crazy supernatural stuff going on and sometimes um it actually goes from like one page to the other so you'll you know, you'll turn the page and there'll be like one giant panel up top that'll sprawl both pages. And then there'll be a couple of other panels down at the bottom to kind of wrap up the battle and show you like particular things that are happening within the battle. And like the race is on for these guns. And supposedly if they're all collected, um, it's going to unlock this vault where all of these like nasty, vile things are being kept uh, underneath the ground that have like come up from hell and it is just like a balls out ride from page one to wherever the hell I am at the end of page six. Um, really great character development. Um, people die left and right, like characters that you've actually grown attached to within a few issues. Um, they die. Some of them come back. Some of them do not. And uh, it's just I'm not particularly one for Westerns all the time, but this is like absolutely so much fun and and ridiculous and beautiful to uh to take in um bobby have you ever seen it yeah i actually have the first trade uh i just have never read it um you're gonna, you're gonna love it yeah i mean i i bought the trade after we had i think it was during fearless defenders because i was like oh this cullen bun guy you know <laughs> I, it seems like he's pretty good so he's like an up and coming yeah so i bought that trade and i just haven't got a chance to read it yet but i've heard nothing but great things about that series yeah, I mean, I've been loving his uh, like his Deadpool stuff has been really good. Um, his Magneto book has been great, and I'd always heard people say, you know, the Sixth Gun, and it's won all kinds of awards in pa- in years past and stuff. It's been around for a while, but when I had the opportunity to grab this this giant edition, I was like, you know what? I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get it. Whatever. If it's good, it's good. If it's not, so be it. And I sat down to read it, and it's just so cool like i love watching uh the transformation i wish i could give you names i should have written them down but they're escaping me um the main character the the young woman who is now the owner of this sixth gun her character development throughout like the two arcs that i've read so far is really solid Mm. you know I, i mentioned it a little bit before one of the things that i can't stand is when they put a character on fast forward and it seems as if somebody who's in a really extreme situation grows like kind of used to it within a couple of pages or even by the end of the issue. And they're like, yeah, I'm totally down with this. And this is my life now. And it's no problem. She's really got a problem with what's going on. I mean, there's like things crawling out of the ground. There's uh, old men with like a, a wrapped in chains with a coffin on his back coming after her. There's magical guns now in her possession. And these strangers pretty much uprooted her from her life and telling her what to do. And it it reads at like a breakneck pace. There's very little time to like collect yourself with a little bit of like background and story bits and stuff like that. But um, it's ridiculously epic. And if you've never checked it out, I highly, highly recommend that you at least pick up the first trade uh, and give it a shot. It is fantastic. Awesome. It sounds great. No, it's it's awesome. I can't wait to read the rest of it. Um, and everything he's done, you know, really since that uh, Fearless Defenders, I think, has been really on point mm-hmm. and really, really good. You know, yeah. he's turned books, books that I never thought I'd be interested in reading. You know, he's he's turned me on to books like Magneto. You know, that yeah. I, I ended up ended up really loving that I never mm-hmm. would have read, or I don't think under different stewardship might not have been nearly as good. 
So yeah, I just I just want to like as much as as much as I love Cullen Bunn's writing and he is spectacular and it's it's so cool to have something where it's the same creators on something for so long, kind of like Saga with Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, where it's their thing. This is Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt and Bill Crabtree's, you know, baby. So they've probably had meeting upon meeting to create this giant thing. And it's seven trades now. And I think there's even like two side arcs uh, that belong to it. So it's a huge series and it's consistent. Mm. And I'd be very curious to keep reading it and see if it maintains the level of quality that it does or that it at least has started out with. Because if the whole thing is like this, then that's amazing and, and I need to get the rest of it. So Absolutely. Awesome. I'm now like trapped in a situation where the next oversized hardcover doesn't come out until I believe April. Ooh. And I really want to read the rest of it, but I'm going to have one giant oversized hardcover and a whole bunch of trades. <laughs> And we know how much I love that for my. So my you shows. buy the trades, and then when the, when the um, you know, when the hardcover comes out, you just buy the hardcover. That's good sell idea. them on Amazon or something. Exactly. Provided you get all the extras in the oversized you got in the other one, they don't conflict, and then you have to keep all of them. Yeah, I mean, I I, <laughs> I can't even like, I don't even know if I if well I I do want to read it, but reading it the way that I have with the like sprawling battles and art, like having these giant oversized pages and especially like the yeah. double paged layouts, having that big version of it. It's been like really cinematic and really cool. And um, I'd be very curious to see how it transfers to a smaller page, but I'm sure it's just as, as good. Well, we'll see. Yeah. All right. I'm going to shut oversized. up. Now. Go oversized. Trust me. Well, I'm going to do what Bobby said. I'm going to I'm going to try to collect the trades in between, and then uh, when the big one comes out, I'll uh, I'll take the dive. All right, awesome. So yeah. that's the sixth gun. I guess that'd be the first trade, right? The first six issues. Yeah, it's it's volume one. It's um, uh, it's actually the first two trades. Oh, okay. Uh, collected. No, what I'm so, saying no, what you read though is the basically the yeah, first. Yeah, what I read is is the first arc. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it is by uh, it's from Oni Press. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Bob, lay it on us. All righty. I'm going to talk about a book I haven't talked about a lot lately, just maybe in passing, but it's Captain Marvel's number 10 and 11. Uh, number 10 is actually the 100th issue of Captain Ms. Marvel, if you count all the other incarnations. So it actually was a uh, an homage cover to the first Ms. Marvel from back in 1980, which is kind of cool, if you remember that one as I sadly do, having bought the thing for whatever it was, 15 cents back in that day. What you have here across these two issues is Kelly Sue DeConnick, David Lopez, Marcio Takara, uh, Laura Braggia, uh, Lee Lockridge on colors. So it's the usual sort of dream team. It's a two-parter. And the first issue is actually Carol gets a series of letters from home. And it's you start with one from uh, Kit, you know, Lieutenant Trouble, telling of this Terrible invasion of killer rats sent by Grace Valentine, the villain from Captain Marvel 17 that ended the first arc, as they come after all of Carol's friends and families, in this case, invading the Statue of Liberty. And little Kit, she is Lieutenant Trouble, and, you know, Captain Marvel's sidekick, at least herself, acts with great heroism, which is a heck of a lot of fun. And it's it's light enough. I mean, it's a horde of rats and sounds hideous, but they're, they're funny rats because the second story is, uh, it's a little bit of a... It's Jessica Drew, who apparently doesn't like rodents, fighting off this horde of mind-control rats, a couple of them that have little light bulbs screwed into the top of their heads, which is a pretty <laughs> funny visual, needless to say. 
And all her powers don't help much against rats. Yeah, pheromones and rats works only just a little bit. We also then get James Rhodes's take on the other side of this, as he has to deal with Grace's master plan, which took place all the way back then about discrediting Captain Marvel, which is what this has all been about. The final letter was from uh, Carol's assistant, Wendy, and it's a plea for her to return home because Carol's old friend, Tracy Burke, who goes all the way back to the original series, who's been very ill, is now, it's not looking good for Tracy. We don't know still what's going to happen with that. So Carol comes home to visit in issue 11, and what we end up having there is a visit at the bedside. Uh, Grace Valentine shows up, as done June Covington, who are all looking to steal her powers. We get an unexpected guest star who has appeared in the Marvel Universe before, uh, brought into it, I believe, by John Byrne in his She-Hulk series. And uh, Marvel is superhero action. There's some, some nice laughs and all, but it is a tremendously touching story during, for hol the holiday season. And I'll tell you, this two-parter will be, it's my first keeper story arc of the year that I have to make a little note to myself to look forward to at the end of the year that I don't forget this one. But mm. this would come out before the end of the year. One or two of these issues would have been in my conversation. Wow. Anybody take a read of these two? Yeah, I've read them. They're, okay. I mean, they're, every, they're everything that you said that they, that they are. Um, some of those moments uh, in the hospital were uh, quite heart-wrenching. And... Uh, it's interesting to see to see Carol kind of coming back to um, the people that she's been missing from mm -hmm. being off in space and stuff like that and reconnecting with people. And it's funny, like anything that I've read from Marvel ever since the news of Secret Wars, like I just I keep wondering, like, how much of this are we going to get to keep, if any of it at all? Um, but I appreciate it while it's here kind of thing. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I mean, Bob, what do you think? How do you feel about Carol being back on Earth? Do you think it's a good move? Well, here's the thing. The fact that she was away, I believe the storyline itself plays into that we've missed these people too. And mm -hmm. so it makes it all the more sweet and bittersweet at once that we're home for a while. How long that will be. No way to know. I think she, she has one day on Earth with Lila Cheney to head, head back out into space because Lila's got a concert to do. <laughs> it's a... The move to put her with the Guardians and into, into the larger Marvel story arcs was certainly made to increase her visibility. That might have been why finally there was the movie got announced. So for the benefit of the character, it might have been a good move. For the benefit of great storytelling, the stories in space may have started a little fractured as we had in media res. We, we go back and forth a little bit. It turned into some really lovely stuff with a whole new family of characters. But this family of characters is who we all, I think, fell in love with in the first, uh, first volume of this book. Mm -hmm. So very happy to see them on Earth. I don't know if we had done 10 more issues of them on Earth. I'd feel as heartsick and uplifted and all those things I did reading this issue if it had happened all the way through, and then we just had a Christmas story. Having there yeah. be that split, I think, really, really made this much more touching. Well, it's, I mean, it's pretty interesting that they, she, uh, Kelly Sue put, you know, Carol out in space and perhaps bringing in story elements of the fact that life still goes on while you're away and things mm -hmm. still happen when you're off in space. And she comes back and Tracy's in the hospital 
and you know maybe one of those like you know you weren't here when it happened kind of things this is what you missed yes and you know a, a harsh life lesson learned by by coming back and by missing out on some stuff like what if something had happened to kit and she was off world so yeah. you know there there are consequences to her you know, not being able to be everywhere at once and be with the people that she loves versus where she needs to be like responsible, what she feels responsible for being out in outer space. If I'm, I hope I'm making sense. Absolutely. You are. Yes. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying, man. I'm trying. No, no, I knew you weren't making perfect sense. Uh, it, <laughs> I, I think that it's interesting. I think that it's cool to see. It's a good storytelling device. Like you said, Bob, to take someone away and out of a situation like that and then put them back in and, and all of a sudden those characters and people have much more weight and meaning than they mm -hmm. would have if you had been with them the entire time. You know, it, it's something that it is, is unique to, you know, serialized storytelling in, in a lot of ways, um, whether it be comic books or whether it be a TV show or even a, even a series of books or a series of movies. You need that kind of breadth to do those kind of stories and affect those kind of emotional impacts. And I think that, you know, if the book had been bad in the interim, that it would have been not worth it. But since yeah. the book was good in the interim, it, I think it serves to helpfully set up another set of characters that you care about and now just reinforce how much you love the ones back on Earth. Amen. So, absolutely. All right. So that's Captain Marvel number 10 and 11. Yes. All right, um, so uh, we're going to do a double block of Valiant right here. Uh, first, my my book of the week. So I talked a little bit last week about uh, reading Exo Man of War, and then I talked more on it this week after I had uh, read more of it. And I've read everything but the most recent arc of the book, um, and I've re also read the uh, the Unity tie-ins to to uh, one of the arcs of of Exo Man of War. And I've also now also read uh, a trade of Archer and Armstrong. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to do my due diligence and get as much of the universe as I, as I possibly can. And I, I will say that I think Exo Man of War starts incredibly slowly for me. Trades in front of me. It would have been tough for me to read a trade, have a time to wait, and then have the you know the motivation to pick up another one of the trades. Mm -hmm. But because I had them all in front of me, I would and I had kind of this mission in my mind. I, I powered through, and I'd say the first two, uh, two to three, you know, trades, um, you know, making up probably the first like twelve issues or or, or whatever. I, I think the ideas in Exo Man of War are incredibly sound. So if anybody doesn't know what Exo Man of War is about, it's about a Visigoth who warrior who is abducted by an alien race called the Vine, and is held as a slave on one of their ships. And he escapes by taking control of this holy armor. Uh, it's called like Shan Shanahara or something, but it, it, <laughs> you know, they, it's in the slang term, the Man of War suit. And so it's their alien tech, and they've been trying to fit people with it for a very long time. You know, it's a religious artifact, and these mo most worthy warriors come up, and, and they get fitted for it, and it's been killing all of them. Uh, and so when it links with this human. Uh, the the race has a very difficult time dealing with that that it that it could be a human you know filth animal that that could wear this holy suit and so basically uh, he escapes and gets back to earth but it turns out that what for him what had been just a few years was actually sixteen hundred years um, for 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 the for the world 
so it's now, you know, in modern times and everything he's known or loved is gone and he's trying to adjust to what's going on, you know, in, in the world while also dealing with this oncoming invasion by this, uh, this enemy force. And that's a lot of the kind of the first, you know, like three trades deals a lot with that stuff and variations of it, um, of fighting that, that race. And I, I think that, those ideas are very strong and it does very interesting things as far as themes and over overarching plot to, to, to make you interested in that world. But kind of the moment to moment stuff is a little bit lacking in, the, in these first couple of volumes because you're kind of expected to care about the main character with not a, a lot of backup. You know, there's a lot of, you know, um, kind of stereotypical or, you know, archetypal reasons to care, but not, any actual reasons to care, you know, his children and wife are missing, you know, his people are, 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 are in danger, those kind of things, but it's tough to connect with those things if you don't connect to the character. Um, mm. Mostly because the character didn't really have anything to qualify him. There was no other character in the world that, you know, could really give him shape. He, he was just this force that anything that came up against him, he could just mow it down, basically. You know, uh, and then in the fourth volume, I believe, issue 12 or 13, I don't remember which one it was, uh, the Eternal Warrior makes an appearance, and the Eternal Warrior is a, is a character who has existed since like before before our time, and he, the Earth won't let him die. Basically, he's like a he's a slave to the Earth, and his name is uh, Gilad or Gilad, and he is a he, when he popped up in the story, it was like the entire the entire creative juices got like a jolt, and immediately when that character showed up, I began to get invested in the story, began to care about the characters. Because he was someone who could kind of match up with, with, with the main character. And the, the following three trades, including the Unity storyline, I thought were all really, really strong um, and really exciting. And the last one I read, which is a prelude to a event they did this year called Armor Hunters, was very, very intriguing. Like Those characters, those kind of villains that pop up uh, really piqued my interest and made me want to read more. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that overall it's a solid series. I think that after a slow start, it, it, it's very good. I think that... Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the regular um, Carrie Nord, I believe is the name of the regular artist. I wasn't a huge fan of his work. Uh, it's good, but it's just not my style. Uh, but uh, Lee Lee uh, Garbett, uh, who does uh, or Gabbert, I can never say his name right, do, who does Loki, Agent of Asgard, did, a, did an arc on it. Oh, cool! And that stuff was really, really great. Um, it's just, it's just his arc was great, but the other stuff is just okay for me. And it, it comes more in stark relief when you look at something when you look at something like Unity which I think is Doug Braithwaite is, is the artist on that, and that's just gorgeous. Gorgeous, mm. gorgeous stuff. So, uh, you know, I've, that those couple of caveats aside, I think it's a good series, and I think that the character becomes more interesting as it goes along and as it begins to kind of fill in the rest of the universe. How uh, many volumes did you say you read? I read six volumes. Of oh, it, wow. Plus Unity, four issues of Unity, so I guess seven and volumes. At, at what point did it start to click for you? Um, volume four, probably? Really okay. click for me. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't disliking it uh, in the other in the other volumes, but I was kind of reading it, putting it down, and not really taking anything away from it. Right. Uh, except for this idea is really intriguing, you know. But they're not quite executing on it. It's interesting that you you made it through the three the three trades without being in love with it. Yeah, is I mean, the, yeah. Sorry, I mean, I know, I know not not everything hits, mm. you know, at at the same time for everyone, but I just. It's it's cool that that it was there was at least something about it that kept you coming back to it even if it was just for curiosity's sake. Yeah, the central conceit to me is what always kept me coming back because I thought that was very interesting. Cool. And 
yeah, and and so I really enjoyed it, and then I I just quickly started reading. I just started reading at Archer and Armstrong, and oh. unlike uh, Exo Man of War, um, it grabbed me immediately. Uh, nice. First issue grabbed me. It's really very funny, and that's the thing that grabbed me right away. It's got a really great kind of buddy cop road movie type of feel to it. Um, you know this this the, one character is this kind of. You know, it, it's imagine Vandal Savage, but imagine him as like a l- lazy, you know, drunken uh, <laughs> kind of screw up kind of guy mm-hmm. who's not a bad guy. He's a good guy. And then paired up with this super like uh, religious sheltered uh, guy who was sent to kill him first, but then kind of joins on his side. And, he, you know, they, he says things like, you know, G Willikers and... Nice. Um, he, you know, he just doesn't have a sense of the outside world, but he's this incredibly skilled assassin. So it, it's kind of this crazy mix between, you know, like a, a Mormon and and a complete l- l- lecherous uh, being, <laughs> and, and and all that stuff. They play that stuff for laughs, and it's very very funny. And, and so I, I'm really enjoying that a lot. And that Eternal Warrior shows up in that as well. And actually, I, I bring that up because um, Ivar the Time Walker is in Archer and Armstrong. Oh really? Uh, which I did not even know before I started reading Archer and Armstrong. So uh, I was like, "Oh, wait a second! I just read this book because I read it. A- I read it after." But yeah, you see, like I'm I'm completely new to the Valiant universe, yeah. so I'm I'm like, "Oh, Ivar!" I'm like, "He's brand new." And, <laughs> no, he's not. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to talk about. I don't know if you guys wanted to ask any questions or talk about the other stuff I talked about at all before we move on. But no, I just I'm I'm excited because I've got actually a stash of uh, Archer and Armstrong that I think I borrowed from my friend Brendan like possibly three years ago. <laughs> so now I I can go back to him and be like, hey, man, I read it. Here's your stuff back. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, Archer and Armstrong sounds a little bit more my speed. I think I'll have to go and check that out. But um, the other stuff sounds good. I didn't get a chance uh, to read the second um, issue of uh, The Valiant, but I, I did pick it up. So now that, now that you've talked about it a little bit, it'll prompt me to uh, sit down with that later this evening. Yeah, I would say definitely, like, if anyone who is not reading in that universe wants to pick a book up and just get into something, I would say Archer and Armstrong, for me so far, has been the one, you know, that that grabbed me immediately. Good to know. Uh, um, you know, Exo Man of War, I don't know if I wasn't really trying to read it for the site and trying to, you know, give the universe a complete full shake if I would have made it past the first two trades. Um, just because I'm very cutthroat with the books that I read. Yeah. But I, I think that um, Archer and Armstrong is great. Bob, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, the Valiant, you're going to need a lot of backstory to have it work for you. Can't, it's not really a jumping on. Yeah, you know, I think that it, it's, from what I'm getting out of it right now, and the more that I read Valiant stuff, the more that I get out of reading the Valiant. Okay. Uh, absolutely. I, I think that, the, the cool thing about the Valiant is that I think it it's a lot of great creators really doing great work. You know, um, and, and I, it's really good for them to think of them as a company to have that kind of prestige team uh, on a book. I think that the Valley does a good job. I think its central story, like it, its kind of, you know, meat and potatoes story, is something you can understand without visiting the universe and, and getting into the universe. But there's so many other things, you know, being laid upon it, you know, that I, I think that it'd be tough for someone who doesn't know anything about the universe to get a ton of enjoyment out of it. I think you could still get some enjoyment out of it, but I don't think you'd really really enjoy it without gotcha. it mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so uh so yeah so let's move on let's talk about ivar time walker uh you know i've talked a little bit about the from a perspective uh now i'm reading this stuff so i'll get to my kind of thoughts on it um 
after you guys, but I want to hear, um, Bob, what did you take away from Ivar Timewalker? Well, not knowing he was anywhere else, Mm -hmm. I just read it as a piece of science fiction. And it's it's some bad pun here, you know, some very time-worn science fiction ideas. Time travel is always a lot of fun because you can make up your own rules in a way each each scientist version slightly different in each of these stories or whatever it is. And in this case, I thought the writing was very clever, if occasionally a little too hip for its own good. You know, trying very hard to be quick and witty in a, yeah, you mentioned buddy cop kind of way. The art was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Story was mostly involving. There's a sort of a, I don't want to give too much away, there's sort of a shock ending for one of our characters. Uh, I'd probably wait for a trade. I mean, I'm kind of reminded of, of Rocket Girl, in a way. Mm. The idea yeah. of fixing what's gone wrong, which it was, and that was just done so, so well. Everything's going to come off as a poor second to that mm-hmm. for me. Right. So I I want to see what the second one was like to see if I went any further. I'd have to at least thumb through it somewhere. Right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steve, what did you think of it? I dug it. Cool. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I... Um, excuse me, one second. <coughs> yes. Uh, yeah, no, I, I had a lot of fun with it. I. It's funny. Bob puts it so eloquently in that it was a little too... Some of the writing was a little too hip for its own good. I definitely, like, I definitely feel you on that, but, like... There were some things about it, uh, particularly the female lead, that I just I I liked her sauciness and I found her very uh, entertaining. And some of her dialogue uh, just cracked me up. But I love there's this one page where they're you know they're time jumping and they're they're running through the loop, and they're about to go through one, and he just turns around uh, to her with her with his hair blowing in the wind, and he's holding his hands out and he goes, "Come with me if you want to make history." <laughs> like the whole come with me if you want to live thing. And it's cool because it's kind of like a tongue-in-cheek uh, time travel, like hard sci-fi story. And I mean, I went into this cold, right? Like, I don't know. This might not be my very first Valiant book, but it is definitely my first like solo Valiant character outing. And I found it to be welcoming enough that I was able to like kind of like get into his deal, which is very um, questionable. I like that there's kind of like an added level of intrigue to his character that I don't know whether to trust him or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, they they paint their villains as very villainy, but there's like a little bit of dialogue, and I won't spoil for people that haven't read it, but there's like a little bit of dialogue that makes me question his motivations like he does some stuff when they're time hopping and they they land in this place that for all of the uh like carefulness of of time jumping and not wanting to step on things not wanting to kind of you know mess with the evolution of life and and if you you know the butterfly effect where if you set one thing off it'll be a whole a paradox of events and stuff like that and he's kind of like going in and and mucking about in in uh in battles and little things here and there that I wonder what he's up to and why he's gone back to go and kind of like team up with this person kind of like a doctor who and his companion kind of setup and um yeah I'm actually I'm adding it to my pull list because I I I enjoyed it and I I think it's I think it's uh 
a good character for me personally what in wanting to get into Valiant this year and read more stuff from them. I think it's a very welcoming character because it it speaks on a lot of things that I like about sci-fi. Yeah, so. absolutely. I think that I read it before I read any Archer Armstrong, so I had no, no, I knew nothing about the character when when I picked up the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I agree with you guys. It, you know, I wouldn't, Bob. You put it. You kind of verbalized my thoughts that I was having trouble verbalizing when it came to mm-hmm. that the kind of idea. There was something about the dialogue that um, wore me down a little bit. I'd like, I, I, I'd say, Bro. is how it, yeah. it felt to me. You know. And it's one of those things where I feel like it's like one of those comedy shows that it's like, okay, we're going to throw a thousand jokes at the wall and, you know, some of it's going to stick, some of it won't. And it's not that, not, not that in a humor way in this book, but that way in kind of like a, um, a wittiness way, you know, we're just going to keep throwing stuff at the the board and some of the stuff is going to hit with you. Some of it's not, but you're never going to be able to say this book doesn't have style. It's not trying for something. Right. That's what I think that they're, Mm -hmm. they're trying to get across in the book. And, um, you know, I, I I liked this. I, I see. I had a lot of the same thoughts you did actually about the character and about how he didn't seem um, entirely trustworthy. You know, to yeah. me, he seemed too jovial about everything he was doing. For some reason, it made me suspicious of him. You know, that he right. was that everything was seemed to be a joke to him, except for one or two things, except for getting stuck in that world. He didn't want to get stuck there. Well, so, there's like I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's okay. No, no, go ahead. Like. There's a moment where he, I mean, he most definitely changed the history that they jumped into. Mm. And at that particular time, like just paying attention to the events of what's going on, that the doctor wasn't necessarily like with him at the time. And just maybe that like he was using the distraction of that battle to get what he needed to get done Mm. behind her back. Right. Like, I have no doubt that he needs her for something, but I don't know if he needs her to fix what he claims to want to fix or if he needs her because she's an integral part of, like, his own plan. Right, yeah. And it's, you know, like, it's it's that that kind of draws me into the character where I'm like, you know, I, I, I kind of like you, but I don't know that I trust you. Right, yeah. So. Yeah, there's a lot of, I, I liked that, that kind of dichotomy between Ivar and, and, and the Doctor, how they... Uh, how she was so concerned about every little move she was making, and, and he was so cavalier about what he was doing. You right. know, she was worried about stepping on something or brushing up against something or, or whatever it might be. And and he's, he's taking out a historical figure. Exactly, exactly. And, and that moment as well is that that moment where you, you're not sure to trust him or not, right? Because he just kind of shoots that dude. Yeah. And completely cold blood. He doesn't have to shoot him. You know, right. and, and he and he does. So I I think that it it brings up interesting questions there as well. And, yeah. um, you know, I, after reading Archer and Armstrong, like I, he's only in it for a very little bit. And he is also kind of a, you don't really know what his motivation is there either. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's kind of part of this, uh, triumvirate of people, you know, Archer, uh, sorry, Armstrong, um, the eternal warrior and Ivar are brothers. Uh, and oh. they, they oh. all existed, but like before time, and they 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 caused the end of the world, but when the 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 action that they chose that they the thing they did to cause the end of the world granted them this eternal life. So wow. they kind of go through time, um, you know, doing have they have different tasks, they have different things laid at their feet. You know, he's Ivar is a time walker. Um, the the eternal warrior is tasked with guarding this geomancer who's kind of like this this character that can talk to the 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 earth. Mm-hmm. And um, Armstrong is. is is charged with kind of 
making sure that the opposition doesn't get a hold of this device that they created that destroyed the world back, you know, millennia ago. Um, so it, I, I learned that, you know, just from the you know the first couple issues of Arthur and Armstrong. So knowing that about him too, it, it adds that suspicion, right? Because yeah. an eternal being doesn't have the same wants and needs and desires as we do as, as yeah, a regular different person. agenda, different agenda. So even if it might, an agenda that might seem evil, that is just, they see a much bigger, long scoped plan and they, it's like that Dr. Manhattan thing, right? Where they kind of see everything is so much smaller than, than we see it. So they are less um, sympathetic and empathetic to, to what's right. happening. So it definitely does. And in Archer and Armstrong, he is kind of, He's doing something for good, but he, uh, he he's kind of playing people behind the scenes. So there's stuff there to to, to bring on to this as well. So uh, you know, after reading that, I'm actually more interested in reading more of this because now I know that stuff. Uh, um, so that that was pretty cool. Uh, Bob, what do you think of the actual kind of like time travel device? Kind of like these little like pockets that they had to jump between. It's something I haven't seen before in quite that way. I, although I guess it's Stargate mm-hmm. at some level. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's where it's. From which is actually there was a '60s television show by Irwin Allen who did Lost in Space and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea called The Time Tunnel, mm. which was a big, it's a big tunnel basically a whole <laughs> big series of concentric rings that they walk through. The fact that it can be inside all sorts of places you shouldn't go to could make for some interesting storytelling moving forward. Or oh, we have to go there to get through this time portal, the time arc, or whatever. Right. Well done. Well done. Now, we, we haven't mentioned who did this book, have we? It's Fred Van Lenty oh, yes. true, and Clayton Henry, mm. or who we thank. Yes, with uh, Brian Reber on colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Fred Van Lent, uh, or Lenty, I don't know, I'm not sure which way is the right way. <laughs> um, he also does Archer and Armstrong. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's why there's a crossover. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I, I did enjoy it. You know, it, it did not, see, I think it actually grabbed you more than it even grabbed me. Um, the actual kind of uh, the meat and potatoes of the book, but well, I'm, I, um, go on, go on. No, I'll, I'll follow up. Yeah, it's cool to 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 talk about these ideas, and this is why I, I think this segment's a good idea because it brings out more things about the book than I would have thought of uh, on right. my own, which I think is pretty cool. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. Um, I mean, like I like I get into to certain things. I mean, everybody pulls you know things from books that others don't. Uh, one of the things I forgot to mention that I really liked. Uh, is the the doctor character? I gotta find her name. It's bothering me that I don't. Ila Sethi. Okay. Uh, oh, there it is. Ila Ila Seth Sethi. Nila. 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 Ila Sethi. Um, I love that she she's going through her notes or like she's setting up for her experiment, and she says changes Bowie on the iTunes check. Like she actually moves to to the Bowie song to commemorate the moment of of possibly changing the world. And the way that she slugs uh, a five-hour energy mm. before, you know, like those are things that, uh, especially the five-hour energy that is very commonplace now for people that are trying to stay up and study or stay up to create things or whatever it is that they're doing, that it makes me feel like this could be happening somewhere. Like she mentioned that she's from Long Island. Mm-hmm. So for all I know, you know, Ivar could be over in Brookhaven Labs. Right, yeah. And like, you know, a private sector uh, where, or like wherever the hell the, the Hadron Collider is that in that in that place, there's like a little uh, like sublet building or something like that where she's doing these things. And the fact that it's in that she hails from Long Island, it just it kind of maps it a little bit more for me. And it 
makes me think that like even just a couple of miles away, this could be happening and people are going off on adventures to change time and space. And, you know, it, it, it's intriguing to me. And also, I mean, as far as my, my being a little bit more into it, um, a lot of it has to do with my being excited to actually be excited about a Valiant title finally after mm-hmm. so many people have been, you know, recommending them and over time asking us to read them and stuff like that. And I think it was a really good choice for for this particular, you know, to start off this segment because the whole idea is to have a dialogue about stuff that we may or may not be reading, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The point of this is to, to kind of broaden our scope during the year um, and maybe, you know, open up uh, our our reading lists and open up the stuff that we talk about, you know, at the end of the year as well. You know, all this stuff is, is to help us do that. So, yeah. um, you know, a book like this is exactly what we, you know, what we're, what we're aiming to do w- with this segment. And, uh, and in the future, too, we'll see, you know, we go along, it's going to start being more up to each us individually to, to pick stuff. And, and it's going to, mm-hmm. I think, going to be uh, a cool way to, you know, even if, even if it's stuff we don't love, you know, right. it, it'll, it will certainly equal better conversations i think you know well, we've be- heard i'm going i'm sorry no this no it's so weird not being in the same i know room, i know i can't no. look at you before i'm gonna talk i know i know it's it's the way it, it, i know it's very strange we we now know what stephanie feels like every single week right <laughs> but i mean like you know we've got that message a lot like you know quote for quote like you you guys need to read more valiant mm-hmm. like we've done this once and in that one time i now have added a valiant title to my pull list and i'm going to go and check out arm um archer and armstrong mm-hmm. So, mission accomplished. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Bob, you have any closing words you want to say on the book? Nope. All right, cool. All right, so we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back and answer some listener questions, and we are going to talk about the Fantastic Four teaser trailer. Right, we are back, and we are going to be talking first and foremost about the Fantastic Four trailer that dropped on our laps Tuesday morning. I was sitting at my computer doing some work, and you know, I get like uh, Twitter notifications from Talking Comics, and there was one that came up that was like, "I'm actually kind of interested," and <laughs> and somehow I just knew that it was the Fantastic Four trailer i was like oh the fantastic four trailer must be out so i i went and watched it and if anybody out there who is listening hasn't watched it yet you should probably stop this and 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 watch it and then you can probably better understand what what we're saying about it or maybe not <laughs> it really depends on your on your feelings about that um look i i know that everybody wants to hear what bob thinks that's the first person everybody to hear from anthony jones one of our our our, our patrons on patreon actually asked <laughs> Um, I'd love to know what Bob thinks of the new Fantastic Four trailer, but we're going to make you wait one person, one person, <laughs> Anthony Jones, because Steve, I want to hear, what did you think of the Fantastic Four teaser trailer? All right, here's, here's, here's where I am. I've watched this thing about eight times, um, and I really am trying my best to get it out of my head that the, the Fantastic Four that they're doing is not my Fantastic Four. Like, it's still Reed, it's still Sue, but for some reason it just it doesn't feel like that to me. 
Um, I'll tell you this though, and I'm going to be honest. I've been hating on this thing ever since it was announced. Um, I didn't hate the trailer entirely. I kind of didn't hate it at all. Um, I don't really know what they're trying to do. I, I, I don't, it looks like the fantastic four, but then there are elements that have been leaked that make it not feel that way. Um, I know it's just a teaser. I would have liked to have gotten a little bit of a better look at Ben. Um, that little bit that we see of him coming out of the rock just wasn't enough to give me an idea as to, as to how they're really going to go with his design. Um, but for the most part, it, it felt like, like I was watching a trailer to just another sci-fi movie that's coming out that happens to star like young, you know, young scientists. It didn't really feel like the fantastic four, uh, per se. Um, and that's where the whole separating it from what it actually is to like the stories that I love and the Hickman run. I'm not getting the Hickman run. I'm getting something entirely different. And, uh, I'm a lot more curious now than I was. I still don't know that I'm on board with it a hundred percent, but at least they've piqued my curiosity, which they absolutely did not have before the trailer came out. Um, I could just keep railroading and talking if you want, cause I got a lot to say about it. <laughs> Well, let's. Uh, um, I mean, th- 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 that's. I think good for now. We'll, we'll definitely. We're gonna definitely do more than one round of this right. of talking about this. Uh, Bob, have at it, sir. I did get a lot of mail about this, as you can imagine. <laughs> Here's the thing for me: the the trailer did not address any of anyone's concerns about what was going to happen here, as to except that it's grounded, which this is a property that is not grounded at all. It was more human than comics have been before, but it was not grounded in the sense of this feeling, as Steve said, a sort of generic science fiction movie that could have been Sound of Thought or Butterfly Effect or half a million Interstellar or a million other things, which is it's a problem in and of itself. The sad thing that they managed to get some little things right, Johnny working on cars or whatever, means they did actually look up the source material and then chose to completely ignore it for nearly the entire minute and so on of, of the running time of this. The, the, the tone of this is, is somber. I don't want to say grim because that's a really hideous pun. It's definitely, you know, why so serious we, we could go with. That Johnny looks older than Ben and Reed is interesting. Reed looks like he's about 12 with glasses playing at making a science fair project. (laughs) Um, A project like this that could be the... I I, I think I said on the forum today, someone was asking about The Incredibles. This is what the Fantastic Four should feel like, The Incredibles, which is certainly based on this property without having paid for it. Mm Mm-hmm. It should soar, it should sing, it should be the best sort of scientific Indiana Jones, back to the future adventure sort of thing. It is a complete misread of the property to come out with this. And there's nothing in this trail that says to me that it won't be anything but this sort of somberness. And that's sad, because this should be an all-ages adventure for everyone. And... Mm -hmm. As you, Steve, you were saying about it being your Fantastic Four, I, as I've said this repeatedly over the months, I'm concerned that since there are so many more movie watchers than comic book readers, that at some level, this sort of thing, if they cross it with the X-Men, which is a, mm-hmm. of a much different tone than the books have been for years, too, 
Yeah. This will be everyone's Fantastic Four. And I mean, uh, you know, and that's that's a concern for me that people will never see the glory that this thing should be. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my two cents. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I think I echo a lot of what you guys are saying. I think that um, it it doesn't, and I said this when we talked about it uh, like a few months ago. I said that you know it could very well end up being a a, a really good movie, but it just is not going to be a really good Fantastic Four movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it 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 has a good director, it has a good cast, and. You know the visuals in the trailer are are at times very striking. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I was very impressed by some of the visuals in it, uh, and the, the, I think it's a well cut trailer. You know, I I think that it gets across uh, the tone that they're going for. It's not the tone that I'm looking for. You know, right. when when it comes to to this property, just like you said, Bob, mm-hmm. I I think that it's an interesting move to really basically not have the main cast speaking the entire trailer. Um, not that I think that means anything trailers do that. It's not, you know, that's, it's, that's not, I don't think telling of what their performances are going to be like or anything like that. But I just think it's an interesting stylistic choice. You get that. And it's very interstellar in, in its, in its format, the trailer anyway, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that voiceover is, is good, you know, and, and it's very, has a lot of gravitas and, and all that kind of stuff. But, and there are moments, right? There are a couple moments in it that you go, okay, this sort of reminds me of the Fantastic Four. Uh, you know, it, it's it, it's it's playing with like the origin. Definitely, you can tell, and it's doing some other stuff as well. But it, it some of those some of the iconography is at least similar. But then you know we kind of break down into this what looks like very very somber, like you said, Bob tone and. Mm-hmm. You know, for some people that might be something they're looking for, and that that they might they might end up loving it. Um, and it might, like you said, I say this all the time about The Shining. It's a fantastic movie. It's a horrible adaptation of, of that book. Right. And, and so this could be end up being a really good movie. But for people who love the property, um, and that's all you, you can really speak for, because we're all people who love the property. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's going to always have a caveat to it when you're when you're watching it. Uh, you know, as far as the stuff about worrying about it being people's fantastic four. I think you're always going to kind of get that with movie versions of things. Yeah. You know, for a certain sect of people, they're just never going to care what the comic books are like. Well, I mean, this is a, this is a property that, you know, there are movies like the hunger games came out and like, I, I enjoyed those books when I read them, but like, I didn't need that series to be phenomenal. I didn't need it to blow me away. Like it, they were making it and that's cool and everything, but something like the fantastic four and it being personal, like it was weird to see the characters in this trailer and have them not remind me of like every everything that I know about the Fantastic Four. Like Sue, it's little things like her hair being a bit too dark and her having like no brightness to her face, or the fact that Ben just he's like this giant mook of a dude, and now we've got like your football buddy looking guy as as him and granted he hasn't changed yet but that just it doesn't doesn't remind me at all of of the characters that i know and that's kind of like why i'm having this weird separation with it and kind of struggling with it a little bit yeah i i anticipated this but it's just like it's still it's still a little fresh it it being this morning and everything so i'm still trying to, to formulate uh you know like a solid opinion and stuff yeah i'm absolutely i i think that it it 
for me, the thing I took away from it was visually it looks great. Um, I, I, there are a couple moments in it. Like there, there's hints of adventure in the trailer. There's a couple hints of it. There's kind of that Indiana Jones-ish plane that's flying over some sort of jungle or wooded mm-hmm. area. There's a, there's Reed in the jungle. There seems like there's some sort of... I, I don't know if it's a negative zone. I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's some other dimension that they're making up for the movie. I don't know what it is, but it seems like they're traversing somewhere. It's you called know? end zone. They can't even say <laughs> negative zone. It's, 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 I don't know. It's too comic booky. Um, I think this is going to end up being like the Punisher where they couldn't use the skull on his shirt because it was too comic booky. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and um, you know, so that, that was one of the things I was like, okay, that, that reminds me of, uh, of, you know, things I've seen before in the comics. And I'm not the kind of guy who wants it to be the exact same story as the comics, but I think you need to at least, if you're going to make a Fantastic Four movie, like I said those months ago, then make a Fantastic Four movie. If you want to make a, a cool new science fiction movie, then make a cool new science fiction movie. Yeah. You know, but th- there's got to be some sort of respect uh, for the property. Th- there's got to be a, a somewhat of a little bit of a disrespect for the property as well if you're going to make it your own. And I'm the kind of person mm-hmm. who likes that and things. But there's there's got it's got to begin with yeah. a healthy respect for the property. And I just don't feel that here. Now, you can make it your own. You look mm. what Joe Johnson did with Captain America. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a Joe Johnston movie in the sense that The Rocketeer was, but it was still beholden to Simon and Kirby. Mm. And it showed you the best aspects of that character and what he went through to be Captain America and so on and so forth. I saw an interview today with Josh Trank who described his take on the Fantastic Four as being like a David Cronenberg weird body morphing movie and it should be dark and sort of horrible. I never got that from reading (laughs) the Fantastic Four ever. In 50 odd years, was Ben not happy at being an orange Rocky monster? No. Did it ever devolve into Brundlefly? It didn't do that either. (laughs) Right, yeah. And that's (laughs) just the, the absolute wrong take for my way of thinking. Right, absolutely. Again, it could end up being an interesting science fiction movie with the wrong title, mm-hmm. but w- what a waste of a chance to... If Fox had said, okay, here's our sort of dark X-Men movie with giant apocalyptic events and time travel and fixing things right and so on and so forth, and the alternative franchise for them is a lighter-toned action-adventure that would serve as counterpoint to the X-Men universe so that when you splice them together, there'd be the interesting back and forth. Hmm. Now you have two properties that are basically the same, and who's going to notice the difference when they're all running into each other? Yeah, it did remind me a lot uh, of like watching one of the modern X-Men film yeah. trailers. Same tone, same mm-hmm. kind of feel to it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's our first look at the movie. And we don't we we've known some stuff about it. It seems like some of the most of the stuff that we had heard seems to be pretty accurate. Um, not some of the more extreme things. Obviously, it's obvious that you know. I mean, it's not obvious, but it seems pretty clear that Reed is in some sort of like store clerk or or something. You know, it, which yeah. was one of those descriptions. He seems <laughs> like a scientist in it. He seems like he is performing an experiment, um, and we'll have to see you know where it goes from there. Um, you know, I'm disappointed that we didn't get more. And, you know, I think some people are going to say, you guys were pretty easy on the Ant-Man trailer, you know, and, and you're being very hard on this. But I think it's all about track record. 
in, in a lot of ways, you know, mm-hmm. until Marvel shows me that they, the Marvel Studios shows me they can't do it right, I'm going to kind of go like, okay, maybe that trailer didn't light me on fire, but I'm going to expect them to do it right. Right. And I don't have that for this, so I'm going to be harsher on it, um, especially because yep. we're only about seven months away from it, and it's the first thing we're seeing from it. Well, that's like yeah. that's kind of my thing. Like, re- regardless of the teaser, and I know that the whole purpose of a teaser teaser trailer is to just show you a glimpse of the film, but I feel like I still don't know anything, and we're we're super close to this. And I just would have thought that there would be there would be more marketing. There would be just if they really want this to do well, there needs to be more of like more confidence in it. Yeah, I mean, if you read the statements from Trank, they're they're thinking behind it. If I mean, if you believe what he's saying, right, is that um, this is the first, this is the debut for this franchise, and they didn't want to come out with something that looked unfinished or that wasn't exactly what they wanted it to be. So they didn't want to okay. deliver any unfinished effects or what have you. But right, you know, we'll we'll have to see what what goes on from here. I mean, you know, the final vertical coming from the movie, it's obvious mm-hmm. that they're going for something different, and yep. whether or not it's a movie that we can enjoy despite those differences. We'll have to see, but I think regardless what happens, we're all going to be thinking about those differences probably the entire time well, we're watching I mean, the movie. Yeah. I, I forgot. I forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Don't worry about it. Um, Bob, do you want any last words on the, on the, on it before we move on? Uh, people should go watch the Roger Corman version. Oh. <laughs> Steve, do you remember? I did. Um, just like in, in, anticipating being a loose word of anticipating the movie. Like I just, I have so many questions. I have so many questions as to how their fantastic four is going to work. What's going to be different stuff like that. And now seeing the look of the movie and stuff like that and seeing the effects that are being All right, put into it back. Like I said, they and have, they going- have my curiosity where they did not have it uh, before. So at least that's something, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, All right. So let's, uh, let's move on. Um, uh, let's, let's, we have some, uh, questions here on Twitter that we're going to, we're going to run through, uh, really quick. Um, Adrian Hodgkins, Hodgkiss says, my nine-year-old son loves all new Captain America. Will Secret Wars ruin it for him? Will all new titles suffer? Um, hashtag TC Podmail, which is our hashtag for listener feedback. Um, uh, Bob, do you want to field this one? Sure. There's no way to know at this point. And that's sad to be able to then tell your son you can't keep reading these books because it's all going to change into something else. I Because there's another Captain America movie coming, I think at some point, since it seems likely they want the two universes to more closely resemble each other, I think you'll end up seeing a Captain America that ends up looking like Steve Rogers again, which is sad if the Sam Wilson character, particularly in this new Mighty Avengers, had some amazing moments mm-hmm. that Al Ewing provided. I don't know what's going on in the Captain America book, but Al Ewing has got Sam Wilson nailed. It is abs- It was absolutely pitch perfect at the end of this issue here. And don't know what's coming next. End of days, or whatever they're calling this, is coming. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, I think it's tough to know, right, what we're going to see. It's I've had discussions with a couple people um, because, you know, people, you know, after after the announcement last week, after our show, were talking to me and asking, well, you know, but Marvel's launching new series. They can't just be getting rid of everything. 
You know, the, the, why would they be starting something in a month and then get rid of it in two months? And, um, I, you know, I don't know all the answers to that stuff yet. You know, if, if you look back, w- w- they say they've been playing it for a very long time a- and that it was always coming. Uh, so it seems like not the same thing as the new 52 where, you know, it seemed like those creators got very little lead time to start writing their books. A couple weeks, I think it was, uh, and start writing their books. So uh, you have to imagine there's a plan in place to transition those books. Um, the thing that's definitive is that for a few months, yes, it's going to be gone in, in the form in which you know it. Uh, is there going to be a book featuring Captain America probably written by Rick Remender in, in that space? I would say probably yes. You know, um, But is it going to be the same dynamics and the, and the same storytelling flow that you're used to? I'd say probably not. Um, so it all depends on whether or not it's you know that book is going to whatever whatever captain america they do during the secret wars what it's going to if it's going to appeal to you or or not yeah. and then what comes after the secret wars yeah is even more unknown at this point yeah it'd be tough for me to believe that they would if you're just launching this new captain america and this new thor to get rid of it so quickly i just don't believe that they're going to reset it again at that point mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i i don't know what that's going to mean for everything uh, because if they're really like really streamlining the universe, you know, having two Captain Americas and two Thors doesn't seem like it's the best way to streamline the universe. Yeah. Uh, but again, those characters, I think, um, you know, I think we've heard less kind of hubbub around the Captain America stuff, but the the the, the Thor stuff has been fantastic, and yeah. I, I would be sad if that meant that uh, th- those kind of books were ending. It also, but it, but I'm of two minds because. If they're doing this, isn't this the perfect way for them to transition, you know, creative teams off of books? Isn't it the perfect way to juggle up a universe in that way too? Like it's it's got to be the end of Hickman's Avengers stuff. We know that. Mm-hmm. So someone's taking over Avengers. You know, does that mean things in X Men are moving and things in Thor and Spider Man and all these books are going to start moving? You know, and if that's the case, does that mean that Jason Aaron is now off is going to move off of Thor? You know, to maybe write something else. Uh, you know, because it'll be like three years, I guess, or something like that. Two years, he'll be on the book by that point. So I don't know. I, I, I we don't really have no idea what's going to happen when this all this is over. It's going to be a dark day when they <laughs> remove Jason Aaron from Thor. So you know, we're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to see. But what goes down with that? Um, it, it's it's a very good question. It's not one we have an answer to. You know, they haven't really given us those answers yet. Hmm. Troubling so, times. Troubling I times. Think like. Like the creative teams of the new books roll out, we might be able to get a better grasp of what they might have planned. Yes, absolutely. And, and yeah. I think for every, you know, to be fair to them, for every, oh man, I, I, it sucks that person's off this book now, there's going to be somewhere it's like, oh my God, I'm so glad this team is now on this book, whatever right. that form of that book happens to be after all the, all this comes. So, you know, to know what, I mean, again, we've said a couple times, I think there's no way that Charles Soule isn't writing Avengers um, when all when all of this dust settles, you know that's just my opinion. I, I can't imagine he's not doing it. I'd read that. Yeah. So yeah. So let's uh, let's see what else we got here. Thank you very much for that question, though. Very very good question. Um, all right. So this is kind of goes off of uh, you know our uh, our previous talk about Fantastic Four and Steve, kind of what you were saying. But uh, at Batfons on Twitter wants to know with the ma- <laughs> great. yeah with the majority of moviegoers hey. not comic readers should the fans relax about fundamental franchise changes? 
Um, I'm gonna I'll go first on this one. I, I think that it's a all all comes down to personal feeling and, and taste. You know, I, I think that you with stuff like this, you have to make it it's your decision. It's your personal feeling and your personal move to decide whether or not you're gonna be able to watch something that very very much divorces itself from the thing that you love. If you can still enjoy that, then that's all the power to you. Um, but I think asking people. I don't think it's a blanket thing where people need to let go of that passion because the passion existing, I think, is the reason why we have the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we have, you know, right now. So I think that it's that that kind of passion, you know, drove that company to make sure things were like the comic books. And obviously, it doesn't go for everybody, but I think that you need that passion, you need that fan base that wants it to be like it is, so that you have you know, a voice dissenting against somebody just wanting to completely change things. Mm-hmm. But that's me. Steve. Steve, oh, me? Mm. Yeah. Um, really? Honestly, Bobby, you hit the nail on the head right with that last part that you had just said about like, um, change, like, oh man, what the hell was I going to say? I always do this. <laughs> Apologies. Let me, let me, let me reroute myself. Uh, should the fans relax about the fundamental franchise changes? Um, I don't think so. Cause, uh, okay, here we go. Like you were saying, Bobby, you need both sides is, is my point. Um, without the people that are the fans and that do love the franchise, like you have to have both sides of the coin. You have to have both arguments. It creates a conversation and it creates a buzz about things. Cause once you have opposing sides, you then have, you know, this large conversation between the fans and then between people that are just regular moviegoers and I'd like to think that they like wouldn't have to to pay attention to certain things and the cinematic universe can do what it wants to do. But there's also something to be said for honoring source material and trying to bring these characters that have meant so much to so many people um, onto the big screen. And I think that you you at least need to pay attention to both if you want your uh, your movie to be a success. So, yeah. Bob, what about you? Uh, I think far too often the people... I'm not saying in this particular case for bad fonts, but just in general with the internet buzz on things, far too often the people calling for other people to relax are those with no real passion for the project being mangled. Mm. And so it's very easy to say, oh, come on, it's just this. Okay, what if we take one of yours and turn it around backwards? You know, we'll make Batman into uh, uh, Princess Gumball or whatever. (laughs) And how would you like that? And arms would flail and, you know, heads would explode and it would be all the rest. So in this case, I understand why we should all take a step back sometimes. There are going to be changes. Movies are different. It's a different kind of storytelling. You're compressing 75 years or 50 years of comic books into a two-hour movie. So things have to be condensed, compressed, removed for time, for tone, for storytelling technique. But it's just what Steve said. It's the core. It's it's the the heart of these characters that made them live for all these decades is what needs to be there. And when those things fall out, as we've seen with a movie that the movie that shall not be named, bad things can happen for a huge segment of the audience. And those that defend it are great, but they're as you're saying, Bobby, about the teaser, they're defending something that isn't a true representation of the property. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, it, of course it's all comes down to that, right? If there, if there's, cause there've been times, Bob, I'm sure for you that you've seen an adaptation of a book 
that you didn't read, and mm-hmm. you might have really liked that movie. And then yeah. people who like the book are like, are you kidding me? Like, it's horrible compared to mm-hmm. the thing that I love. Yes. You know? So it goes for us as well. Like, we're the same way. Like, there's definitely things that I'm like, I don't care what they do with that thing because I don't think it's good or I don't, you know, I, I don't read it or I don't watch it or whatever it might be. You know, so uh, it goes it goes all around. You know, I think that it goes to a larger idea of, you know, respecting other people's feelings uh, on things. People who are against and, and are for. You know, yeah. th- there there is there's not a right or wrong answer here. We're talking, and in the end, we're talking about, you know, media, a- and it only matters to a certain extent in life. So you have to you have to you know, there there is probably a call to relax for everybody on all sides <laughs> at times. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that people are passionate about this stuff, and you're passionate about it too. Whoever the whoever the opposing person is in in any of mm-hmm. these arguments, and you have to remember that about about each other. You know that you know pushing each other's buttons and and trying to get on people's skin and, and calling people stupid or naive or, or whatever it might be. And I'm not saying this is what you know Batfons is doing because oh, no. he's not. Um, I'm just taking extrapolating here. It, it, it it's never gonna it's never gonna prove your point, and it's also never gonna make good conversation so that's just something to think about um and i, I know B- bob wanted to answer this question specifically this is also from bat Fonz. okay do you think studios will ever embrace an elseworld style approach to movies like an independent gotham by gaslight i'd love to see that but i think they've already embraced the elseworlds that's what this fantastic four movie is going to be boom hey oh hey oh thank you yes. i'll be here all Cha-cha-cha. week <laughs> i mean i think that stuff would be great you know i, I think even I think we talked about it in the past, but doing more of those. I mean, like Dark Knight Returns isn't a one isn't a Elseworld story per se, but it, you know, it kind of might as well be. It's mm-hmm. a future we're never going to see. Mm-hmm. And doing stories like that, or you know, um, like Spider Man Blue, or, or, or something like that, where you can do these little contained stories that don't really have to do with larger things. Um, I, I think it, it's tough because. You know, you want they right now. Studios want to make multi, you know, billion dollar franchises every year and and multi multiple times a year. Mm-hmm. So it's tough to do that. It's tough to take a character like Batman, who you want to seem vital and young, and, and do this other thing with him. Uh, I, I but I think that the especially with DC, who has a lot of those. There's a lot of those stories. You know, there's a lot of great stories that they have that are outside the the continuity and can do cool one-off things with characters. And it, it allows you to also have more danger in a, in a story mm-hmm. because those characters can die in those stories mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to affect, you know, your multi-billion dollar franchise. So I think it'd be a, a fantastic thing to do, to do, to do stuff like that. Um, yep. But whether they ever do it or not, I don't know. That'd I think be- it might be better for television. Mm-hmm. What yeah. if you did a DC Elseworlds television program or the, and did one a month, smaller movies mm-hmm. in... You could do Red Sun that way, or Justice Netflix. Rogers. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great for Netflix. Yeah, yeah, that would actually be perfect. Um, mm. I'd I'd love to see, you know, I'd love to see, like a TV show of like Legends of the Dark Knight would be a really yes. kind of fantastic thing. Yeah, um, those aren't necessarily Elseworld stories. Some of them are, but some of them aren't. But I, I still think it would be a great thing to do. Um, let's see, what else do we got here? I like it. Um, okay, so. Uh, Three geek and a six pack. Wants to know, given all the crossovers that have happened over the last few years, what are your favorites? So I think we're including there, you know, crossovers between between books, uh, event crossovers, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. Bob, what, what what do you got? How far back are we going? Past few years, yeah. 
we went back a whole long way. If we went back a decade, it would be John Byrne's Batman Captain America crossover mm. since World War II. But recently, I would say Dynamite's Masks that merged all those mm-hmm. pulp magazines and radio heroes into one place. Doc Savage, The Green Hornet, Miss Fury, The Shadow. Just really, really well done by Chris Roberson. Uh, just a lot of fun. Are you excited about Masks too? Absolutely. Particularly coming off Justice Inc., which was a little underwhelming. Okay. So much looking forward to Masks too. That, now, that isn't Roberson again. Is that Bun? No, it's uh, Michael Uslin, the movie producer. Oh, uh, okay. And all so right. he doesn't have quite the tone right that... Yeah, Roberson did such a great job. It's, it would have been hard to follow that, and this doesn't follow it well. I'm gonna, the last issue comes out this week, so hopefully red as a lump, it'll be better. Oh uh, Yeah, um, I, I meant actually Masks 2 is going to be right. Colin Bunn. Well, oh, yeah, amazing. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, over the past few years, I really loved, obviously, the, the Swamp Thing, Animal Man crossover at the beginning of the New 52. I mean, that was really the first time in that universe that we had characters from different books sharing the same, you know, the same book, the same world. Um, Because when they first restarted the universe, things were very divided. So that was very cool to see that coming together. Um, I I really, really enjoyed that a a lot. And I got to say, too, the the Batgirl movement stuff. Yes. Ah, you. (laughs) That was one of the ones I wrote down. I thought it was was pretty wonderful. Uh, It really, I I love the way it, it, it showed us Barbara from a different perspective. And... Almost, she was almost the bad guy of the story at the beginning because of the plight of the people that she was. She was kind of interfering in their world without really knowing what she was, what was going on. And I liked that you don't you didn't get to see that usually um, for that character. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Steve, why did you like that crossover? Which one's that? The the um, movement the movement and Batgirl. Batgirl. Yeah. Um, because it was just it was. I mean, both Gail Simone, you know, writing the character and writing them into the story. Uh, the feud that they had, the two characters, and just the kind of the the crossing of East East meets West and getting to see a different part of the city and how like things are handled differently. The rivalry going on between, you know, both, uh, I guess, leaders of, of their own group and, um, you know, just a, a creator getting to take a beloved character of theirs and add it to the book. You know, it, it got a little bit better sales got more um, attention from people when the crossover happened. And I think that once we found out that that story, that the movement was going away, it was just a really, really nice way to spice it up towards the end to, to kind of ramp you up for the finale. So, yeah. Uh, what are some other ones from you, Steve? Uh, this forever evil count. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Forever evil uh, was fantastic. The uh, Aquaman Throne of Atlantis mm. arc uh, yeah. from last year was outstanding. Uh, like you said, the Swamp Thing and Animal Man run was really cool. Just those two worlds kind of just blending together almost seamlessly and fitting so well into one another. And the places they went with that were just so nightmarish and cool. Um, and in not arcs or, or stories that have come in the past – there is a crossover happening very soon that I'm super excited about, which is uh, Hackslash and Nailbiter mm. are uh, going to be doing a, a comic together, which I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, we just got a tweet about this, actually, and speaking kind of goes back to our first question about books getting canceled, and I don't know if um, uh, if this means anything, obviously, because we know everything's kind of coming to an end in some ways, but uh, you know, Marvel this week announced a couple things with... with 
Secret Wars that there's kind of these three different imprints. There's Last Days, there's Battle World, and I can't remember the other one that the, that the three of them are. But the, they announced the first three Last Days books, and it's Loki, Captain America, and the Mighty Avengers, and uh, Magneto are the three. Oh. So those books might be on their way out for good, for all we know, with, with those out. But who knows what that means? Um, I just wanted to throw that out there uh, since the information just came in. Um, all right. So um, this is this is from Amy, who's at Good Evening on on Twitter. She says uh, the Ghostbusters cast is pretty great. People haven't heard they just. Um, it's not even for sure announced, but a Ghostbusters cast headed by Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy oh, just, awesome. just got pretty much announced um, by the director. He tweeted a picture. Um, there's also two Saturday Night Live actresses that are going to be part of it, which I don't remember their names right now. Um, I don't know them, but uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, the Ghostbusters cast is pretty great, but what comic book characters would you put on a paranormal hunting team? <laughs> Bob, do you have something? Sure. Because I did have a minute to think about this. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking Marvel, first of all. And so I, I want Clea, Doctor Strange's assistant uh, love interest for all those years. Because you have to have some mysticism going on. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking there's some sort of really terrible vampire plague that's even beyond. So you got to have Blade and Jubilee. And let's throw Dracula into the mix, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good one, Bob. So, right, someone on the bad side, on the side of the angels, which he was in his own book here and there, and we could have some fun with that, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. That's awesome. Steve, what, what about you? Uh, I would really like to see a kind of like a, a big two crossover in uh, Doctor Strange meets uh, Justice League Dark. Hmm. I think that would be awesome. If you had uh, Constantine and Zatanna and Frankenstein and just going up against like all the undead uh, villains that they face off. I just, I just think that would be awesome. Cool. I, I like, like it. it. I like that a lot. Um, for me, uh, a part of this, some of these people are actually in, uh, most of the people are in DC uh, and they were, some of them were in Justice League Dark, but Constantine, uh, Dead Man, uh, mm -hmm. Spectre, and actually Dr. Mirage from uh, that Valiant series. Uh, because that is what that nice. character does. So, um, and, and very very cool stuff. So that would be my paranormal team. Mm, um, I'd like to see hey, uh, Doctor Strange try to get along with Constantine. I think that'd be interesting. It would be definitely. Did you see there was some hubbub that it looks as if they're casting a brother voodoo for the Doctor Strange movie? Oh yeah, yes. Uh, Chitwell Eljafor is yeah. what they're talking mm -hmm. about. Yeah. Um, the ladies cast for the Ghostbusters film are Kristen Wiig, uh, Leslie Jones, uh, Kate McKinnon, okay. and Melissa McCarthy. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah there's been some, a lot of couple casting rumors and stuff. I mean, they, uh, they are saying that, uh, they revealed that, not revealed, but there's a rumor that one of the roles cast in Captain America or Age of Ultron, I'm not sure which one it is, but it, it's going to be uh, Baron Zemo. It's going to be in one of them. Oh, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Definitely. Um, Especially if he has the purple bag stuck to his face. <laughs> yeah. Cast anyone. Cast me. What do I care? Um, so uh, th this last question I'm going to ask for right now is from at Infinity Watcher. It said, what's your one wish for comics in 2015 besides no more events, Stephanie and Bob? Hey! <laughs> hey! What's that about? Uh, I wish for family books from the big two is what Infinity Watcher wishes for. Bob. Amen. Amen. No, that takes the word right out of my mouth you know it's always about all ages and getting more people involved and 
The more books we can put out there that everyone can read, the better we all are. Keep the other books, too. Let, let there be adult stuff and dark stuff, but let's have something for kids, more from the big two. We're starting to see that. Squirrel Girl, Gotham Academy, so on and so forth. Added to that, though, let's make sure we can get books out to the most hands possible by making them wider, more widely distributed. Find mm -hmm. a way into supermarkets and bookstores and book sales at schools and everything else. That bullying book that was out a couple of weeks ago should have been in every school imaginable. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's do more that way. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, for me, I, what I'm hoping is that the that kind of the e it's more of a also kind of ease of ease of procurement kind of deal too. But I'm hoping that with the as digital begin, uh, continues to rise, that um, that prices stabilize and become easier for people to get in on um, for certain things. Like I think that you know we see a lot of graphic novels, uh, you know the original graphic novels, not even the collections of things that come out that I think just kind of go by the wayside for a lot of people because they come out and it's an extra twenty dollars, twenty five dollars on top of your already stack of books that you're already spending, yeah. and it's very tough to to admit, to go after that stuff. So. Um, the prices digitally are, are continuing to sink, and, and you know if you, the various publishers will often give you very good deals on on those kind of things. But I think in the physical world, it'd be nice if we could see the prices come down on some of that stuff, and the digital ways you procure books be you know more unified or more uh, more friendly. I mean, stuff like Marvel Unlimited is a great great idea, but the app continues to be con ridiculously buggy and difficult. Mm -hmm. So a really streamlined, good way to read back issues um, for. Marvel has it. They have the infrastructure in place. They just need to perfect it. And for somebody like DC to really go at it and do it um, and make it so you can go back and read that stuff um, because mm -hmm. I think it's sorely missing from, th from their catalog. But I just want it to be easier to read more. You know, I, for the older stuff, I want, I want to be able to go back and educate myself and not bankrupt myself. You right. know, um, and I think that these publishers could would do well to realize that personal investment in your past is going to make people more likely to spend money with you in the future. And the way you do that is to be able to get people to read your old stuff um, in a very easy and affordable way. And, you know, Bob, yours is more to bring in people that aren't already reading. Mine is more for people who are already reading to give them more. But it's kind of two sides of the same coin. Oh, absolutely. DC has so many holes in their back issue program in terms of trade paperbacks and hardcovers where there are whole runs missing. Some of it is to do with the changed history. You know, others not sure why. They had a they had one of the best reprint programs through those old archives for years and years and years, and that's basically gone. Mm -hmm. There's one release a year, kind of. And if that had been replaced by digital versions of all those old books from the, whether it's the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you'd say, okay, they did that. They didn't. They just sort of stopped and are reprinting. Mostly new stuff with an occasional weird old thing to tie into something else, which is great, but more comprehensive. Yeah. You know, Marvel, apparently, you can request things, and they sometimes show up. Entire runs of wacky old books turn up out of nowhere. DC has just as long back history, a greater one in some cases, because they publish superheroes continuously from 1938 on. Right. They're all there. I'm with you, Bobby. Absolutely. <laughs> Steve, what do you want to see in the coming year? Um, I have like five written down, but I'm just going to go with the one because it's been on my mind. I believe uh, Stephanie was actually campaigning uh, for this earlier, I guess, yesterday. 
But um, apparently Gotham Academy is not necessarily, we don't know this for sure, but that people are worried about the numbers of Gotham Academy. And I guess my wish is to see really good books get their due and, and have the kind of the, the fan base and the people that are interested in the book maybe do a bit more to like pre-order it. And, you know, there's so many people putting it out there and behind and stuff. I just, I would really love to see certain books that are so beloved to people um, do better sales wise. And maybe the companies kind of thinking of new ways to put those books out there. Like the idea to me that Gotham Academy may or may not be in some kind of danger of being canceled kind of blows my mind with, with the, level of artistry and the level of creativity and just the breath of fresh air that that book is that, you know, more people aren't picking up on that or stores aren't ordering as many. Cause I just, I would, I would hate to see something like that or anything else um, that, you know, means so much to people going away because the, the numbers aren't there. Mm-hmm. So um, like I said, good books get their due because we've, we've seen a lot of great things go to the wayside um, and I, I think a lot of people just need to, you know, put your pre-orders in and, and just make sure that you support the book in any way that you can, if you really want to keep it around. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. I'm going to read one more thing out before we go. This is not a question, but, uh, our, our awesome, 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 um, social media manager, uh, Raphael, um, he's at, uh, D R E G A N T Z on Twitter. Um, he's been the one kind of manning our Twitter, asking all the awesome questions. He did something called comic confessions today. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, it, it, I got a lot of cool responses and, um, he, he actually went first and he said, he's never read a Hellboy comic. That's his uh-huh. comic confessions. Um, at Ivy girl, eight, five, one says, I don't care at all for the 100 Robins or Nightwing or red dude. All of them make me yawn. <laughs> Catman and Ivy are much better. Um, and this is the same uh, I have used Gotham City Sirens in a lecture I did as a defining example of sexism and misogyny in comic books comic confessions um, this is at uh, Stace Bob T um, I really cannot get into any 2000 AD I fail as a Brit um, <laughs> at Joe State DX uh, State uh, DX says uh, I really want to go back and read Claremont's X-Men but it puts me to sleep every time Comic confessions. Um, Texas Annie says, I thought why the last man was only pretty good. Uh, at Logan Rowland says, I've never read Watchmen. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> he also says, I'm actually not a fan of the Dark Knight Returns or really the killing joke. Too mean spirited for me. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Lenny Reed says, I read Spider-Man for a while, but really enjoyed it more when he was superior. I missed the doc. Comic confessions. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> at HSJ the third says I would do unspeakable things to finally get the finale of Hawkeye uh, uh, at Super Bad Larry says I haven't read any of the comics from my pull list for the last two months um, at BM Burton 12 says I picked up the first three volumes of Runaways at a con over a year ago and still haven't read them um <laughs> uh, uh, Sammy Cassell says, I have not read Dark Knight Returns nor Ms. Marvel. I don't care for manga art and I'm becoming a curmudgeon. Oh, wow. <laughs> so those were some of the, 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 the comic confessions that, that, were, that came out uh, today. I thought those were pretty funny. 
Nice. Um, thank you very much to everybody who, who has been participating. And thanks again to Raf, who's been doing a really, a really fantastic job. Um, I've got another uh, thank you to go out for people here. And this one is, uh, this one is for our, our, our Patreon people. We, uh, we hit our first milestone uh, this past week with the help of um, some very, very, very generous people. And I just wanted to say thank you so much. We hit the $350 a month goal, which oh, means, wow. yeah, which means that we'll be adding a new podcast feed, which will be a catch-all for comics and coffee, um, some of the interviews that we do, any other video stuff we do that's primarily audio-based, but we do video. Um, the book clubs and stuff will be a, come out as a podcast for, for everybody from now on. So uh, we have that, and I want to thank you guys so much. We're, we're only you know 140 bucks away from our second goal, which means we all get new equipment. Which would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it would. Um, and I want to thank you guys. You know, it, it, it's it, it's been really humbling and, and stuff. And uh, we'll be actually recording your your for the twenty five dollar and up people. Your extra podcast will be coming this week, so get ready for that. But um, one of the rewards is to uh, you know get you get a shout out on the podcast. And I just I wanted to give a shout out to the people on here just to let them know um, thank you so much. So. Uh, to David Scott, James Hammond, Amy Devine, George Alexander, Don Witzel, Scott Wickenheiser, um, Rachel Pickett, Maria Norris, Daniel, Otha Johnson III, Nick, Christopher Michael, uh, Benedict Brock, uh, oh my goodness, Weltram Hirsch, uh, Anthony Jones, uh, Travis, Bradley Bauer, and to Lauren Colleagues. Thank you guys so, so much for your generosity. It, it means the world to us, and you guys have Indeed. been really 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 amazing um it, it's incredibly humbling so thank you so much for that um uh one of those things that will be coming back this week i promise you it's actually going to happen uh comics and coffee is coming back this friday uh <laughs> it, it will happen i promise you so get ready for that um and uh make sure you come back to the website of course for the breadth of content we have coming out guys we have so much great stuff for you columns reviews um you know video shows the Misfits is a book club about the Martian. There's a video version of that in addition to their audio version. So make sure you check that out. Uh, of course, that's Stephanie Cook, Melissa Megan, and Mara Wood with, uh, with uh, you know, a lot of guest stars that come on. It's a, sure, a show well worth your time. Um, we've got Talking Movies um, with Brian Verderosa. They just did Only Lovers Left Alive. Um, and then in the next few weeks, they'll be doing their top 50 movies of, of all time. Uh, Talking Valiant with Adam Shaw. Uh, make sure you check out that for if you didn't get enough Valiant on this show, it's more of a Valiant fix uh, for you guys. And uh, talking games, uh, Steve, what do you got going on for talking games this week? Well, seeing as how we're sitting in the not so polar vortex, mm. we are kind of uh, flying by the seat of our pants to decide what we're going to do by tomorrow. We might get together for a show. If not, we're going to get together for a four player stream of some kind. And maybe just have the podcast uh, live over the net, and then uh, release it that way. Cool. That's. I mean, I think that's a great idea. And if you guys want to, um, you can follow me on Twitter, obviously at talking underscore games. But if you want to check that out, the, the streaming out, or whenever they do streaming, uh, twitch.tv slash talking games. So make sure you check that out and subscribe. Um, yeah. Check out all, all the stuff they got going on over there. Uh, <laughs> you went vaudeville for a second. I know. I know. Over <laughs> uh, there, kid. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, that. That's all the stuff that's that's normally on our site, but one of the things we have we have a special uh, week coming up that actually Bob is, is has written for as a part of. Um, Bob, do you want to fill people in on, on what's coming up? 
Well, sure. It's Maria Norris, and it's for the London School of Economics. It's a Human Rights and Representation Week, and we'll have articles by Maria, by yourself, Bobby, uh, Mara, Carolyn Coca. Uh, we have an interview coming up with Kelly Sue DeConnick, and it'll be on their website as well as ours. And we will have Maria on as a guest within this next week as well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We've go we're going even further global than before. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're, I'm really excited to see what comes out of that. Um, really excited to, to, to be supporting that. So thank you guys so much again for all you've done. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, we are at Talking Comics on Twitter, um, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, and Talking Comics talkingcomicbooks.com is the website um, where you can get all that the content that we mentioned um, my personal uh, Twitter is at Bobby Shortle Steve mine is at dead underscore anchorus and Bob your email address Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com and Bob you had something you want to say before we got out of here yes on January 17th Japanese science fiction author, author Kazumaza Harai passed away now that name may not mean a lot to everyone but just even for those of a certain age, because I didn't know until reading this in the newspaper, but he, along with uh, manga artist, uh, I'm going to badly pronounce this, Jiro Kuwata, created Tobor the Eighth Man in 1963, which made its way to American television screens as a cartoon in 1965. In some ways, it's sort of the first superhero cartoon here in the States because it predated both the uh, Fantastic Four and Spider-Man cartoons and the Marvel superhero cartoons. There were movie cartoons before that. The only one that would be comparable, I guess, would be Courageous Cat and Minute Mouse. Mighty Mouse was in, in theaters. But Tobor the Eighth Man is a cyborg. He's a policeman who has died and had his consciousness transferred into a robot, which sort of makes him the inspiration for RoboCop at a certain level. And they're fun cartoons. They're available. If you go to a convention, you can find them. There are bits of it on YouTube. And I bought one at a convention some years ago, and I put it on after not seeing it for 40 years, and I was instantly nine years old all over again. The theme song, and I knew all the words, it's like, how does your brain do these things? And yet there it all was, right in the front of my head again. Uh, really very energetic cartoons, as things were back then. Uh, tons of really great ideas about identity and self, and that's heavy stuff for a cartoon for nine-year-olds, but uh, our sincerest best wishes to his family and friends and the community in general absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. um and that's going to do it for the talking comics podcast uh for this week um if you're a patreon member uh above uh 25 or more you'll be getting an, an extra podcast this week um and uh yeah that's going to do it um we'll be back next week of course definitely we'll be back with us talking m more comics but until then, for Steve, see you later. Bob, good night. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs>